Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings. In the name of King Jesus, who lives and reigns and moves among us by the Spirit, I'd like to welcome you to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, May 16th, 2021. Samanach residents, if you are not a part of a church family and you would like to join us for in-person worship, we gather every Sunday at 10 a.m. We would love to welcome you in Uh, to our congregation as we seek to be a people who individually and corporately follow Jesus for the good of our city and the world. This online gathering is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God is king over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is God's word. Let us pray together, please. Lord Jesus, the words of the psalmist remind us that it is through your crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of the Father that you have been installed as King of kings and Lord of lords. So I ask that as we gather together in your name, you would call us by your grace to exclusive allegiance to you and your lordship. You taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The psalmist reminds us that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. So we ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in our lives as individuals. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this congregation that we call Samanach Baptist Church. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states, in our nation, and around the world. We also think this day 
of the violence and the bloodshed that is going on near Jerusalem as we pray. We pray with the psalmist for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray that both the Israelites and the Palestinians would find King Jesus to be the source of their peace. May your kingdom come, your will be done in the Middle East as it is in heaven. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit and all of us said together, Amen. Our reading from the Gospels today comes from John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have followed your word. Now they have come to know that everything which you have given them is from you. Everything which I have given them is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understand that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me, because they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer going to be in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished except the son of destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now, I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them away from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Thanks be to God. The text that I want us to pay attention to together today comes from that reading in John 17. We began our reading in verse 6. I want to actually start looking at some things in verse 1, and we'll probably extend our exposition of God's Word to about verse 11. This is the final Sunday of the Easter season. Church tradition tells us that the early church celebrated the Easter season for 50 days. This is the final of those days of celebration, and the next week we receive the gift of celebrating Pentecost together. So one of the things that we've been doing during this Easter season is discussing the way 
Jesus appears to us. And in this final message in this series, we're going to see that Jesus appears to us as the full disclosure of God. At the beginning of the series, we saw that Jesus appears to us in our doubts. He also appears to us to share a meal. He appears to us as a good shepherd. He appears to us as a vine, empowering us to bear fruit that looks like love. And then the pinnacle of this season is now Jesus appearing to us as the full disclosure, the full revelation of the very essence of God. So before we look at John chapter 17, verses 1 to 11, would you please take a moment to pray with me one more time? Risen and ascended King Jesus. We need to know what God is like. We need to be kept tethered to the name of God. Father, by the Spirit and through your Son, continue to unveil to us what you are truly like. Do these things for the sake of your Son, by the power of the Spirit, through the Word of God. Because the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our Redeemer. And all of us said together, What's the first historical event you remember from your lifetime? An event that's recorded in history books that occurred during your lifetime. An event that, that interrupted regular programming with a special report from the news desk. Think about it for a moment or two and, and answer that question. What is the first historical event that you remember from your lifetime? If you're watching this on Facebook, would you put perhaps that event in the comment section? If you're watching this on YouTube, you can do the same. What's the event? For me, the first historical event, the event that, that interrupted regular programming happened on January 28, 1986. Do you know what the event was? I was almost eight years old, and 73 seconds into their flight, the Challenger space shuttle exploded, killing all seven of the astronauts. That historical event taught me that special reports about special events could interrupt our day. I remember that special report coming and then realizing what had happened and, 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 and experiencing for the first time, kind of in my lifetime, a national tragedy where it seemed as though we were held together by a common sorrow, a common grief. But if we are honest, if I am honest at least, even though that event was significant, even though that event interrupted my day and occupied my thoughts for at least a few days after, that event really didn't change my life. It was significant, 
but I went on with the rest of my days, the rest of my life. The Easter season, it seems to me that that we are sometimes guilty of approaching Jesus' resurrection like those historical events. Those historical events that are significant, those historical events that, that interrupt our day, that seem significant, that occupy our thoughts, but, but nothing really changes. Is the resurrection of Jesus similar to that for us? I think there is a, a subtle but significant difference between confessing that Jesus rose from the dead and confessing that Jesus is alive and active. And here's how that subtle but significant distinction works out. We can celebrate Easter and we can think about the event where Jesus, we believe, literally rose from the dead. And then we know he did some things for 40 or so days. And then he ascended back to heaven. And then we kind of begin to imagine that he's just passive now in heaven, thinking about how great it was back 2,000 years ago when he came forth from the tomb and surprised everybody. Look! I'm back alive. And yet, practically, it's almost as if we still have a dead Jesus. We believe that he rose from the dead, but we rarely think that, that he is now, as a resurrected human, alive and active in heaven. Forty days after Easter, which was just this previous Thursday, the church celebrates the historical event that changes everything, that makes the resurrection not just an historical event, but makes it something that changes everything. That event that we celebrate 40 days after Easter is known as the ascension. The risen Jesus ascended to heaven, ascended to the throne room of God, ascended to, in the words of N.T. Wright, earth's control room so that by the spirit jesus could serve as our high priest jesus is not a passive cheerleader sitting on his hands in heaven while we do things no from heaven by the spirit jesus is active doing things so here's my question what's he up to what's jesus doing in heaven. What is the risen and ascended Jesus doing? John 17 answers that question for us in a variety of ways. The first answer that our text gives us in verses 1 through 8 is this. Jesus is doing what his time on earth made possible. So Jesus is now serving from heaven in light of what is now made available, what is now possible through his time on earth. So understand that Jesus is now from heaven doing what his time on earth made possible. We now have to ask another question. How does Jesus understand? How does Jesus explain his time on earth? Jesus answers that question in a number of ways in John 17. First, the incarnation explains the glory of God. Heaven is a place of, of God's glory, and there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the glory of God is. 
one of my favorite films from my childhood, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, is, is battling the Nazis to find the Ark of the Covenant. And there's that great scene towards the end of the film where the Ark of the Covenant is opened and the glory of God emerges. And what does the glory of God do? It melts the faces of those who behold it. That makes for great theater. Jesus says, I want us to have a different understanding of the glory of God. Look at verse 1 of John 17. Jesus spoke these things. And raising his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. John expects us to have read the first 16 chapters and expects us to remember that when Jesus says the hour has come, that back in chapter 2, verse 4, at the wedding of Cana, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, verses 6 to 8, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. He says the th same thing in chapter 7, verse 30. The same thing in chapter 8, verse 20. And then in chapter 12, verses 20 and following, there's these Greeks, these non-Jews, who want to see Jesus. And Jesus now, starting in chapter 12, starts to say that, that his hour is impending, that, that, that it is coming, that the alarm is about to go off. You know that feeling where you have to get up early? Are you one of these people that even when you set an alarm, it seems like your body knows, I set an alarm, and you always wake up about 10 or 15 minutes right before it goes off, and you kind of lay there thinking, I could get 15 minutes more sleep, but should I get up, should I not get up? And then after about 15 minutes of that, it goes off, and you finally realize, I didn't get any more sleep. Well, Jesus says now in chapter 12, the hour is impending, and then now at the beginning of chapter 17, he says, the hour has come. The hour has come means he's going to die. The hour has come means it's now time for the Son of Man to be lifted up in the words of Jesus in John 12. The hour has come means he is now going to move without hesitation towards Jerusalem. He is now going to let himself be arrested. He is now going to undergo of his own volition crucifixion and entrust his life into the hands of God that he may rise from the dead, defeating death and now offering eternal life to all people. And here's what Jesus says. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Now also verses four and five and now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. So here's what Jesus says now. And again, we're thinking about this question. How does Jesus understand his time on earth? He describes his time on earth as explaining the glory of God. And in verse 1 of John 17, and in verses 4 and 5, Jesus more specifically says, my life and death display God's splendor. This is everywhere in John's gospel. We mentioned earlier this notion of the hour is coming. Listen to what Jesus says in John 12, starting in verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These people then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and were making a request of him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and said, Philip came and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. But Jesus answered them by saying, the hour has come. It's impending. For what? 
the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if we stop there, we can think, the world's going to see the glory that melts the faces of Nazis. No. Jesus continues, this is what the glory of God is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The one who loves his life loses it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then Jesus goes into prayer. Now my soul has become troubled because the glory of God is staring him down. And what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Do you see how for Jesus... He says, his horrible, shameful death displays the glory of God. The glory of God, that word glory, doxa, can have a couple of different meanings. In this context, it means the splendor of God. Jesus' life and death display God's splendor. So how does Jesus understand his time on earth? He believes that the incarnation comes to explain the glory of God. And he tells his disciples, if you want to know what the glory of God is, behold the death of the Son of Man on the cross. Secondly, Jesus' time on earth leads to his ascension. And what does he do from that ascension? Look at verses 2 and 3 of John 17. Just as you gave him authority over all mankind, so that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Jesus goes to display the splendor of God through a bloody death on the cross, so that through his ascended glory, eternal life could be given to God's people. So, What's the risen and ascended Jesus doing? Well, he is doing what his time on earth made possible, which now we start to move in a little bit more specific direction of what Jesus is now praying. And I think it's appropriate for us to think of Jesus at the right hand of the Father praying these same things for us. So a little bit of review, a little bit of summary. Jesus understands his time on earth as explaining the glory of God. Now, in verses 6 to 8, Jesus understands and explains his time on earth as being the full disclosure of God. Look at verses 6 to 8. I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours, and you gave them to me, and they have followed your word. Now they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understand. What is it they understand? John 17, verse 8. 
they understand that I, Jesus, came forth from you, Holy Father, and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus, from his risen and ascended place, wants the triune God to keep his followers remembering that the Jesus that they lived with, fished with, walked with, heard him teach, saw him heal, saw him forgive, he wants them to be kept in this notion of Jesus being the full disclosure of God. In verses 6 to 8 that we just read, Jesus' time on earth displayed the name and words of God. I have revealed your name. He just doesn't like say, this is what you should call God, Father. No, he shares with them. He reveals to them the very nature of God. How does he do that? Through his words. Verse 8, the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them. Truly understand, I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. So Jesus now wants us to read the Gospels in this way, the words. And if your translation does this, this could be helpful. Puts the words of Jesus in red. Those red words are words that the Father gave to the Son. So, so, so think of the words. Words like Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Who gave Jesus those words? The Father who wants to forgive them. That prayer is not twisting God's arm to do something Jesus wants, but he's not sure that God wants it. Jesus to the woman caught in adultery. Woman, where are your accusers? They're, they're nowhere to be found. So what does Jesus say to her? Then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Where did those words come from? Those words came from the Father. Jesus' time on earth displayed the name, the nature, and the words of God. Beloved, this is everywhere in the New Testament. The New Testament, it can be said, is written to make sense of the fact that Jesus fully reveals God. The Apostle Paul says, He, the Son of God, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him. Beloved, how can we summarize these glorious truths? One, look at 17 verse 3. And this is eternal life that they may die and go to heaven and have a mansion and walk on streets of gold by the crystal sea, behind the pearly gates, safe from all things that we don't like here on earth. No. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is to know the one true God and Jesus are one. Eternal life is knowing that the one true God and Jesus are one. 
Second summary, Jesus comes to rescue us from false images of God that don't look like Jesus. Lostness in John's gospel is not knowing the Father sent the Son. Lostness in John's gospel is having images of God that don't look like Jesus. Lostness in John's gospel is having words in the mouth of God that Jesus would never say. Lostness in, God's, in John's gospel is thinking that God would condemn the woman caught in adultery rather than saying to her, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Beloved, Jesus comes to rescue us from false images of God that don't look like Jesus. Third summary, Jesus comes not to hide his divine nature, but to reveal the divine nature. Beloved, sometimes the story of Jesus gets told in kind of a prince and the pauper kind of way, to where the pauper dresses like a prince and the prince dresses like a pauper. And like the story of Jesus is told to where Jesus is fully God, but he puts on this man suit in order to hide who he really is. Beloved, that is not true. Jesus comes not to hide what God is like. Jesus comes not to hide his divine nature. Jesus comes to reveal the divine nature, which is why Thomas Torrance said in so many different books, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. There is no God behind the back of Jesus. Beloved, God's word is clear. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. The Son of God is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that verse. The Son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. And then as the verse continues, which we didn't read in the New American Standard, he holds everything together by what he says, powerful words, after he finished the sacrifice for sins, the son took his honored place high in the heavens, right alongside God. The son perfectly mirrors God. John, in his prologue that he expects us to have in our mind while we're reading John 17, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as, of the, only from, as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then just a few verses later, John wants us to understand how provocative it is that we have seen the glory of God. He reminds us, up until now, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son who is in the arms, the bosom, the lap of the Father. He has explained Karl Barth was a German theologian who resisted and resisted and resisted the 20th century Nazi regime. Quoting Barth, Will Willimon, a favorite preacher of mine, says this, Who are you, Lord? What are you up to? How does it stand between us? God speaks Jesus Christ. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know what God is up to and what it looks like when God's up to things? 
Do you want to know how it stands between you and God? The answer from the gospel of King Jesus, the answer from the scriptures is Jesus Christ. Thomas Torrance again, when you look into the face of Jesus Christ and see there the face of God, you know that you have not seen that face elsewhere and could not see it. And he creates a word here, else how. When you look into the face of Jesus Christ, you see there the face of God. You know that you have not seen that face elsewhere and could not see it else how. Once we've seen that the face of God is Jesus, we can't unsee it. Which is why Alan Hirsch says, God is like Christ, and in him is no unchristlikeness at all. Beloved, my entire sermon this last Sunday of Easter is this God, through Jesus, is alive, reigning, and active. And one of the things that he's up to is trying to convince the world through the Spirit-empowered church, through our life together, that God is like Jesus. Beloved, does your life as an individual reveal that image? Does our life as a congregation reveal that God is like Jesus? Does the face of God in our heads look like Jesus? Does the face of God that our life as individuals display look like Jesus? Does the face of God that our congregation projects to the community, does it look like Jesus? Beloved Jesus, our high priest, is praying now that we would stay tethered to this truth, that God and Jesus are one, that Jesus fully reveals that what God is like. Beloved Jesus, our high priest, is praying this for us now. May that prayer save us. When President Reagan, the night of January 28, 1986, mourned the lives of Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McCullough. These were his concluding words. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us by the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them. This morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye, and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Beloved, our 40th president prayed that those seven crew members might touch the face of God. Beloved, as Christians, we confess the face of God is Jesus. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, the King of glory, you have exalted your only Son, Jesus Christ, with great triumph to your kingdom in heaven. Do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and exalt us to that place where our Savior, Jesus Christ, has gone before. He lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Almighty God, we come knowing that the words of Jesus we find in the Gospels are the words of God. 
So we come to confess our sins, knowing that the Christ who is seated at the right hand of God now speaks to us the same words of God when we confess our sins to him, that neither does he condemn us, go and sin no more, trusting that promise, most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. O God, draw our minds to the things that are above, for we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in you. Almighty God, on this day that we remember the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we confess with Paul that he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We confess the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We confess, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through, the, through his blood shed on the cross. Holy Father, keep us in your name. Holy Father, keep us tethered to the most glorious truth that God and Jesus are one, that God is like Christ, that God has always been like Christ, and that in God there is no unchristlikeness at all. Grant us the power of your Spirit that we may repent of unchristlike images of God. Grant us the power of your Spirit that our life together and our lives as individuals may resemble your Son, who is the image of the invisible God. Grant that we, the body of Christ in Samanach, may resemble your Son, so that Samanach may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let us now pray together in the words that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, and all of us said together, Amen. Thank you so much for joining me. May I remind you again, God is like Christ. 
and there is no unchristlikeness in God at all. And now I invite you to receive this final benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all of us said together, Amen.